welcome back to State of Mind with me, Grace Kingswell. Now, have you ever been confused about how many eggs you should eat a day or wondered what the NHS recommendations on saturated fat really mean or whether your cholesterol is too high? Today's episode is all about fat and we are starting with a history lesson from my favourite pal, Jade Layton. Jade's a nutritional therapist, she's been on this podcast before and she's here today to debunk some of the many myths that you have been told over the years about fat. So buckle up, this is quite an episode, I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please do share it to your Instagram stories or tell your friends or leave a gleaming review on the Apple Podcasts app. I really appreciate it. Um, this is the penultimate episode in the series, so there'll be one more next week, but enjoy this for the time being. Wonderful. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Jade. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I'm very excited to be back. Um, obviously, it's great to chat to you, as always, but um, I'm very excited about tackling this subject today. Yes, well, hopefully, I mean, it is 4pm on a Friday, so I think we've both done very well to turn up for this and have done our research and things like that. So, listeners, this is a big topic. And thanks to Jade, I guess, for reminding me that I hadn't actually covered this yet. I think it's one of those things that, as a nutritional therapist, I assume people just know, they just get it. But actually, there is, as we are going to un- unpick, there is so much confusion around the topic of fat and particularly saturated fat. And that is largely because there has been this cultural, this marketing, this this advertising storm around fat over the years. And it's been incredibly confusing for the consumer. So listeners, we're going to start with a bit of a history lesson and hopefully you'll find this really, really fascinating. So Jade, long story short, in the 70s and 80s, we used to think that fat was the devil Mm -hmm. and everything was margarine it was vegetable oils it was hydrogenated it literally like butter was not not on the menu used no now we are doing a bit of a u-turn so let's discuss why has that happened okay so strap in guys <laughs> we might be talking for a little while on this history lesson because it's quite a plotted history um or potted is it potted or potted history <laughs> so um where do we start let's start with the turn of the 20th century so um the early 1900s um this was when uh, we're going to focus ourselves in the US because the US have kind of driven uh, this this kind of dogma that we believe this demonization of fat and it rippled across the world. So let's focus ourselves there, early 1900s. Um, and through that kind of first half of the century, um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, cardiovascular disease was on the rise. It had not really been something that had been seen before. Um, and so it was all a bit novel and a bit concerning for people. But in the 1950s, um, we kind of hit this kind of crux in which 
a lot of research started taking place on what was causing cardiovascular disease. And um, in 1952, uh, the physiologist Ansel Keys came up with this heart diet hypothesis. So um, that hypothesis, which was purely observational, um, essentially suggested that cholesterol was the cause of cardiovascular disease. And because he found cholesterol in arterial plaques in the arteries um, and animal fats contain cholesterol, he claimed that cholesterol from animal fats causes cholesterol in the arteries that leads to heart disease. So there's quite a lot of stages to that consideration, all of which um, was purely observational at that point. So he started to kind of look at these observational studies and, and the, the one that sort of triggered everything was done in 1953, um, which was supposed to prove this heart diet hypothesis. And there's a kind of very famous graph where he looked at six countries and he looked at these six countries and he looked at the correlation, correlation between heart disease rates and total fat in the diet. And if you look at those six countries on that chart, there is some correlation. But as we know, correlation does not um, mean causation, first and foremost. That's key in science. But also, actually, he'd been very, very selective over these countries that he'd chosen. In 1957, um, two scientists, uh, Ural Shami and um, Hilbo, tried to look at this um, from a kind of a bigger perspective. They were experienced statisticians and um, they basically looked at every single country in the world that had that data available, which was 10 to 22 countries at the time. Um, and they did a statistical analysis um, and that showed, if you look at the chart and if you look at that in comparison to Ansel Key's chart, there's just dots all over the chart. There's no correlation whatsoever between those 22 countries and the intake of fat and the rate of heart disease. So there we have initially a massive problem. Um, they also came up, they also kind of looked into Ansel Keys's observational studies and pulled them apart in, in many ways. However, for some reason, Ansel Keys had this very considerable weighting um, and his weighting um, also then correlated with Eisenhower, the president at the time in 1955, having this sudden heart attack. And suddenly fear kind of rippled through the US um, and Ansel Keys decided to put together a, a more rigorous, what he considered study, which was the seven country study in which he didn't just observe, he did go and do some interviews, etc., but again, he chose seven countries in which he'd already decided there was this correlation between what the men, let's just say it was middle-aged men that were looked at, the men were eating and the prevalence of heart disease. So he goes and he does this study and again, he shows this correlation. And despite that having already essentially been quashed by the other statisticians, I can't say that word. Um, <laughs> the, he managed to elbow his way onto the American Heart Association Committee in 1961. And he managed to in, basically persuade them to put out dietary guidelines 
in which um, saturated fats, animal fats, should be avoided and polyunsaturated fats would replace them. So those would come from seed oils. And the aim was to lower cholesterol levels. So the US was the first country to put this, this kind of dietary guidance in place, um, backed by this seven country study, which was entirely flawed, entirely flawed. Um, and all of a sudden, the rest of the world started to follow suit. So if you look at, you know, there's a lot of scientists at the same time who were at that point saying this is not the case this is just not this is not science you, you can't make such um massive claims and you can't encourage people to change their entire diets based on a bit of observational selective data nevertheless um nothing changed um and actually in 1969 just to kind of look at some really good evidence to suggest that the dietary guidelines that have been put in place were actually really quite concerning. Um, there was a study, the LA Veterans Association Diet Study. And in this um, experiment, the intervention group were largely eating a kind of soy-based diet, soy oils, etc., soybean, soybean oils, soy milks, etc., um, and the control group were on the kind of saturated fat, more sort of whole fats diet, let's just say, animal-based diet. Um, the intervention saw a reduction in heart attacks, but they saw a much, much higher rate of cancer, a considerable higher rate of cancer. So suddenly we start to think, hang on a minute, there's something else at play. Now, if we backtrack, we've got to backtrack now to when I said this is the turn of the century, you start seeing a rise in heart disease and kind of these metabolic, what we would now call them metabolic diseases. Mm -hmm. Something else was going on um, when Procter and Gamble decided, as you I love this part of the story. You know this story. I love Procter this part of the Gamble story. had been making soaps and candles out of cottonseed oil. Um, and tallow. Yeah. Well, and tallow, but then... Which, yeah, you, too expensive. You, you, yeah, the, t the tallow was too expensive, so they decided to start using cottonseed oil instead. And they managed to make cottonseed oil solid by kind of throwing it into this blaster and putting it into high pressure and high temperatures and um, basically creating this sort of frankenfat. Um, and they suddenly realised that they'd created a product that could actually, you know, be marketed as, as a food stuff. And well, no, you, yeah, you add, you add. Well, my favourite part of this particular story. So Procter & Gamble were manufacturing candles um, and they it was really expensive to use um, tallow and the natural fats that they were using. So as you say, they developed this method um, using cottonseed oil, which is liquid at room temperature, and they had to make it hard somehow. But then at the same time, electricity became absolutely mainstream and people didn't need candles. So they had all of this hard fat lying around that they then marketed as Crisco for the housewife to cook her food in. And the parallels between, if listeners, if you've heard the episode with Kate Mitzi on uh, plant milks, you'll remember her saying that rapeseed oil 
was actually originally used in the manufacture of machinery. It was a um, a lubricant, mm-hmm. um, but then wasn't needed. So they thought, well, shall we? Who th- who decides? Like, <laughs> who why decides? don't we just put it into human bodies instead? Why don't we just eat this? <laughs> I mean, okay, right. Carry on with the story, Jade. I just I just love that part. No, but the Crisco the Crisco thing is is really important because I guess that comes into what they had essentially done in that process of making something which should naturally be liquid at room temperature into a solid was they had created a well they had created the hydrogenation process, which then created a trans fat. So Crisco was a trans fat, um, which actually, you know, now studies indicate double the risk of heart disease for every 2% consumed. So hang on a minute. People started using Crisco in all the households across the US from 1911. Mm -hmm. And suddenly Mm -hmm. they start to see heart diseases on the rise. Um, so that's a very important kind of addition to this story. Um, Mm -hmm. and then if you cut kind of, you know, 50 years ahead, the AHA got behind their health claims that were still going on about this Crisco in the early sixties and they recommended it and other unsaturated seed oils, um, as the way of lowering cholesterol in the body. Mm. One of the most fabulous pieces of absolute bullshit marketing from Crisco um, that I read that I read in Sally Fallon's book called Nourishing Fats mm-hmm. um, is that, and I'll post this on Instagram because it's brilliant. It's like an original ad uh, for Crisco, and um, it was marketed. Housewives, because it was kind of odorless and very clean, and you know when you cook in butter, it burns. Sometimes it smells, um, and it was marketed as really clean fat, and also marketed as um, improving the character of one's children. And this is because um, research has shown that trans fats affect your production of sex hormones, so oestrogen yeah. and testosterone. So actually feeding your adolescent children on Crisco meant that they had disrupted hormonal production and were less randy. So <laughs> whether, whether Whether they made that... Um you know, realisation when they said that it would um, improve the character of the children or not, you know, will uh, remain unknown. But yeah, it is. It's just brilliant. The irony is is strong. So that was all going on. So hang on a minute. You've got saturated fats. Well, to be fair, um, the diet... um, The heart... The the diet-heart hypothesis was originally based on kind of total... Total fats from Ansel Keys... But then he sort of started to isolate his concern with these saturated fats and these animal-based products. So that's why they started to do more of these experiments looking at kind of using seed oils and things like that. Um, the, the main concern is that the information that came out about the, well, that was discovered about the seed oils and obviously um, Ural Shami and Hilbo's um, study just didn't really come to light so Ansel Keys's um, dogma, which is all it was, just became gospel, um, and it really is like so incredibly corrupt. And you have to think about, obviously, you know, the food industry. Um, they all started hydrogenated hydrogenating the oils as well because there was more benefits to these trans fats because 
Well, trans fats now are hydrogenated oils or partially hydrogenated oils. That's what you're looking for on your packaging. And they're still in a lot of our foods. Um, Mm -hmm. And the reason why they're put into so many things was because they would extend the shelf life of food considerably. So it was so profitable to start making food with these additional ingredients. Um, And even to this day, there is no, um, well, actually in 2021, they started to change the rules on trans fats. Um, So now, but up until that point, the UK actually had no ban on trans fats. Um, And now you can only have two grams of trans fat per 100 grams of fat. However, they are still in our foods and two grams, Mm. you know, like I said, a tiny amount of this trans fat was having a significant amount of like an impact on um, heart disease and and other all-cause mortality. So Mm -hmm. I would say that that's still a a concern nutritionally. Mm. So you've got that going on, but also you've got something else going on because suddenly if people aren't eating fats anymore, or they're certainly not eating kind of saturated fats or animal-based fats, what's happening The marketing goes to low fat, zero fat. Now, how does everybody start making products that are low fat and zero fat? Mm -hmm. How do they make those products taste good? Because food without fat does not taste good, (laughs) generally. They start adding sugar. And more recently, they'll swap the sugar for sweeteners. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, there's a huge amount of carbohydrate that starts getting added to our food at the same time where packaged and processed and convenience food is growing and growing and growing. So what you're seeing is people are avoiding the fat, thinking that they're going to lower their cholesterol and uh, reduce their risk of heart disease, but it's not working And potentially, well, we now know part of the reason why that's not working is because if you're increasing the carbohydrate and the sugar in your diet, then you're increasing over time your risk of insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is directly correlated with increased levels of cholesterol and heart disease, as well as other things, type 2 diabetes, for example. So Mm -hmm. you've got a real kind of mess going on in the world of nutrition marketing um and then obviously it's the whole low fat thing massively and reject the 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 need to reduce cholesterol massively benefits big pharma as well Mm. because all of a sudden they can create all of these lipid lowering drugs and they can start dishing them out to all and sundry because everyone Mm because of what's happened in, you know, nutritional guidelines and marketing and the food industry Mm. has created people who are fat, sick, tired, depressed, with high cholesterol and high risk of heart disease. I mean, the statistics around the amount of the population in America, for example, and to an extent here too, who are on statins, Mm -hmm. is unbelievably shocking yeah unbelievably shocking yes three billion dollars worth of well industry a year is the statin industry alone in the u.s yeah um and we have seven to eight million people on statins in the uk Mm. 
Now, if you think about the population, that's a considerable number. Yeah. I mean, even my dad the other day went to... Uh, he's in his 70s now and he's been losing a lot of weight. And we thought, well, why is this? You know, let's go and do some blood tests at the at the doctors. Um, and one of the, they came back all absolutely fine. And I would also just like to say that, you know, rather than sitting at a desk these days, he's on his feet all day because he's retired and he's pottering about in his shed. Um, but one of the things that came back is very slightly high. And again, this is where things get confusing because you and I would probably use a slightly different reference range for cholesterol than, say, is commonly, you know, like I would, we would maybe be thinking differently reading a cholesterol blood test. Um, His cholesterol was very slightly raised and he said, oh, Grace, I thought I'd ask you because, you know, I've been told to now like go on a low fat diet. I was like, Dad, we need to talk about the fact that you are part Greek and have an insanely sweet tooth. I would start there. Um, (laughs) And he was a bit kind of like, oh, well, I mean, I'm glad I asked you because I really don't want to give up cream um, and things like this. And it's just as, I'm, you know, you'll go on to tell us it's still rife and the information is still not getting out. Oh, my God. No, if you look at the NHS guidelines now, it still says... Mm. Eat a low-fat diet. The The UK recommendation is less than 10% of calories. No, that's the World Health Organization. I think the UK is 11%. Less than 11% of calories are to be intaken as saturated fat. Mm. And and actually, the, ca- the caloric consideration is important as well because everyone sort of really simplified things. We know that there's nine calories um, in fat for every one gram, right? Versus like five, four or five in, in carbohydrates. Yep. So again, people would just go, oh, well, fat's more calories. So it must be the thing that's making me fat. And mm. also it's called fat. So surely that's the problem. It's, yeah. Again, you know, the, the whole integ- consideration of calories the whole time has has thrown more kind of fuel on the fire, I would say. Um, because people just go, well, if I'm obese or I'm getting bigger, the most important thing is that I reduce my calorie consumption. So the first thing mm. to go is the fat. Mm. So you maybe you've reduced your fat, you've got really high cholesterol, you're eating a shed load of sugar. And um, so you then go on statins. And your cholesterol might come down because you're on statins, but then you have a whole host of other issues because cholesterol's a funny one. We need cholesterol in the body. Yeah. We really need it for so many things. I mean, a considerable part of our brain is made of cholesterol. In fact, our mm. brain makes cholesterol. It's that crucial. Yeah, yeah I was um, going to say our body naturally makes cholesterol, so it's not bad. It's needed. It's necessary. And so what happens is these lipid-lowering drugs like statins, oh my goodness, if they drop cholesterol down too much, then there's a load of problems that come with you know memory loss, um, sex hormone production and issues like that. You see a lot of people on statins who have really poor memory um, and they maybe, you know, can't get it up. <laughs> All of these things going on. But it's not, you know, yeah. that, that might be because you haven't got good enough levels of testosterone 
because mm. you're on the statins. So there's there's not there's very significant effects of statins. I wouldn't even call them side side effects. I would say they were just effects um, yeah. that happen in the body as well. So yeah, we've created a real myriad of issues for ourselves. And the the funniest thing about it, and you can only find it funny, is that it's all based on, on this basically bullshit data yeah <laughs> no no data observational consideration from this absolute idiot called Ansel Keys I mean he wasn't even a medical doctor he wasn't a nutritionist he was a physiologist and yeah he he has changed the world and some people say I mean uh Dr Nina Tay Colts, I forgot. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Tay Colts or Tay Charles, who who wrote the Big Fat Lie and all of those books. Uh, she considers the demonization of cholesterol to be the biggest mistake in medical history. Mm. Um, it's it's considerable. It's huge. And I think actually, when you ask people, both of us ask people if they had any questions around fat before this podcast. So many people, most people, still think fat is you know, a dirty word and it's bad for us. Yeah. And it's really concerning. Like, can I still keep putting butter on everything? Short answer, yes. (laughs) How many eggs are too many? Short answer, you've been fed a lie about eggs. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But let's, so we've done the history lesson and my goodness, it's fascinating. Like I said, I'm going to put some like little tidbits and some of this marketing propaganda on Instagram for people to see. Can I just add a final thing about the history lesson? Because I think this kind of sums it up really well and rounds it off. So Ansel Keys kept doing studies and he, um, he carried on looking at this and he actually started to do more rigorous controlled studies. And right. the best one that he did was called uh, the Minnesota Coronary Experiment. Now, this was run by Keyes and others, um, and it was completed in 1973. And it was really well controlled um, because it was run in mental hospitals and nursing homes. Um where they actually could significantly control people's diets, which is very difficult to do in nutrition research, as you know. They looked at nearly 10,000 subjects, and they looked over a period of 56 months. So Mm -hmm. a nice, long, chunky study. The control group um, continued to eat a diet high in saturated fats, animal fats. The intervention group ate a serum cholesterol-lowering diet that replaced saturated fat with vegetable oils from corn oil and corn oil polyunsaturated margarine. Mm -hmm. So the results, yes, the intervention group, which is the one that was on the vegetable oils, had a 14% reduction in cholesterol. But this didn't reduce the death rate. In fact, there was a 22% higher risk of death often from cancer, but from a vari- from a range of things, including heart disease, for each 30 milligram per DL, not sure what that is, reduction in cholesterol. So mm-hmm. a huge, basically, flop of a study that Keyes was running where he wanted to kind of really prove his point, mm-hmm. it failed. Yes, it reduced cholesterol, but actually this came with a whole host of other, you know, deadly chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. Um And importantly, that was unpublished data that wasn't unearthed 
until 2016. <laughs> wow. That sat for 43 years without anyone really knowing about it. And even now, like you say, it's still not communicated. Yeah. So that is it's just just so much corruption. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um it just shows that these um corporations and governments are not necessarily thinking about our health first no and actually there's been quite a lot of that on this season of the podcast oh, yeah the seems to be <clears throat> a, a bit of a trend <laughs> <coughs> mentioning their names matt jarrisy um <laughs> absolutely shattering everyone's ideals about fortified flowers go back and listen to that episode everyone um so history lesson tick yeah. do we need to do a little science lesson on the difference between a saturated fat a monounsaturated fat a polyunsaturated fat i mean so that we know what we're dealing with because i think people like saturated fats okay butter we know that's one mm-hmm. um and other sort like any animal fat like tallow or lard saturated fats but jade Let's recap on the monounsaturates and the polyunsaturates. Well, I think you also, we, no offence, Grace, but I think you've also simplified it a bit too much because the most important thing is that we talk... Oh, the inner fat, there's all of the different exactly. types of fat. Exactly. Yes, we I know, t- sorry, but I'm trying no, to no, make no, it no, simple. But this, this, is, this is good because this is exactly another issue that happens is that we... We say, oh, well, this food is a saturated fat and this food is a polyunsaturated fat. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. Foods that, fatty foods, foods that contain fat contain, in fact, pretty much all foods contain some form of fat and they contain all types of fat. Yeah. So, for example, actually, we always talk about oily fish, you know, containing polyunsaturated fats and it's the omega-3s, for example. But actually, there's only, like, the, the split between saturated monounsaturated and polyunsaturated is really quite equal in mm-hmm. fish with mm-hmm. most of the fat being monounsaturated um and the the split between poly and saturated both being quite similar mm-hmm. so actually there's more saturated way more saturated fat in mackerel than there is in a sirloin steak okay so I, so so that's an important thing to consider because again, hopefully that allows people to not go, oh, it's saturated fat. No, no, everything, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that's fatty contains some amount of saturated fat. So nature wouldn't make something that's going to be toxic for us in, in that kind mm-hmm. of way. But then in terms of what they look like. Yeah, I think we need to set, we need to explain what actually is fat, fat and what and what specifically is a sat- what is it? What does a saturated fat look like? Yeah, so um, in a fatty acid chain, which is essentially what makes up fat, you have carbon and you have hydrogen. And you have like a chain of carbon that are all holding hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they either have single bonds between um, themselves and the hydrogen. Or... So they're either holding hands with one arm or they're holding hands with two arms. Well, imagine bonds, imagine like legs bonds. and arms because carbon, yeah. carbon's got like four, you know, four yeah. bonds. Um, so, yeah, so they're either holding hands with, um, they're either basically saturated so that they don't have any bonds that are 
free that could combine mm-hmm. with something else. Um, mm-hmm. And that is essentially what a saturated fat is, which is what makes it so stable. So mm-hmm. the reason why uh, they are good and they're robust fats and they're stable, at, um, you know, they're firm at room temperature or solid is because they are saturated. Mm-hmm. And then as you get to monounsaturated, the only difference is that one of those um, bonds is a double bond. So the double bond means that that could potentially be broken, split and mm-hmm. and combined with something else. And then the poly would mean that there's multiple double bonds um, between the carbon and the hydrogen. Yeah. That is like at a chemical level, the difference between these fats. Mm-hmm. So think of it like relationships. You've got your saturated relationships that are like super stable. You've been together for like forever, 10, 11 literally years. forever. You know, nothing is breaking you guys apart. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your mono unsaturated relationships where, <laughs> you know, one of you could be cheating on the other when you're on a night out. Or you've other... definitely got a wandering eye. <laughs> or like you're on Tinder, you know, you're having a scroll because there's the potential there to go and link up with someone else. I think nice. that is a great metaphor that I've just come up with. Well, I mean, polyunsaturated <laughs> and polyamory. <laughs> that's well, there you go. Well, there you go. Um, so, yeah, so that's the difference between all the fats. So really, we're just talking about uh, hydrogen and carbon and a slight mm-hmm. difference between them. Um, but obviously, we talk about stability, and that's the reason why your po- the, the fats that contain a majority of polyunsaturated fats will be liquid at room temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also part of the reason why they're less stable when we heat them. So um, that's a very important thing to consider, because if you think, oh, we're, they're actually, they're quite easily broken, um, that's how you can kind of very quickly oxidize these fats, mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. become rancid, and they become quite toxic in the body yeah which is i have covered that on another podcast the one with kate mitzi on oatly barista and plant milks because that's what you find in plant milks yeah Uh, yes so jade what we have established so far is that um what we think we know about fat is not true Mm -hmm. and that actually fat is not to be feared Mm -hmm. so given that it is not to be feared and in fact, quite the opposite. What are the important roles of fat in the body? I mean, we've spoken about, I mean, maybe we've touched on this. We sort of spoke about, you know, hormonal production mm-hmm. as being really crucial. You know, our brain is made of 70% fat. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that we need to tick off there in that category? Yes. So quite a lot of things, actually. Fat has, has many roles. Um, and I think, If you consider the fact that breast milk is made up of 30 to 50% saturated fat, Mm. that gives you an idea of just how important it is um, in the Mm. development of a human life and therefore the maintenance of us as well. So um, brain function, yes, we've talked about. And cellular membranes is super, super key. Um, So although we often talk about when we talk about um, the brain and we talk about omega-3s and we talk about polyunsaturated fats and the ability for cellular membranes to be permeable and flexible and things like that, we actually also need quite a lot of rigidity and structure in our cellular Mm -hmm. membranes and in a lot of the structures in the body. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, that's where saturated fats come in. And in terms of communication and nerve, you know, messengers and, and 
um, neuronal health, um, certain saturated fats, particularly those found in butter, lard, coconut oil, palm oil, function directly as signal, signaling messages. Um, so they have critical jobs in the body and they also um, are involved in metabolism and even the, the, the release of insulin. So mm-hmm. there's something going on, you know, from a cellular membrane perspective, a communication perspective. You've said hormone production, and I guess hormone production, sex hormone production particularly is, is crucial. Um, but also um, the hormone leptin um, is found in fat as well. And leptin is our, we actually mentioned it in our previous podcast, it's our satiety mm-hmm. triggering hormone. It also has a ton of other functions in the body. Um, but if you think about it, so you've got high levels of leptin and fat. Um, if you reduce that fat that you're consuming, you reduce the fat in the body or you're on lipid lowering drugs, mm-hmm. the absence of leptin from the absence of fat actually makes the body think it doesn't have any fat whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So and this, it makes you need to eat. Exactly. It makes you hungry. This results in uncontrolled food intake and particularly severe childhood obesity. Yeah. So if you imagine children who are brought up on low-fat diets because that's what their parents... And it's not their parents' fault. It's honestly... It's, yeah. it's not people's fault that they don't necessarily know this stuff. As we know, it's been buried. Um they're brought up on low-fat diets. Maybe they've been having lots of seed oils in their diets as well. You know, there's a huge issue there from childhood obesity perspective. It also may, um, leptin deficiency may cause delayed puberty. If you think that you've also got, you know, poor sex hormone production, that's mm. going to contribute mm. poor immune, immune system and so on and so forth. So that's hugely important. Another important um reason why we need fat in the body is because there are certain vitamins that are fat soluble Mm. and if we don't have enough fat in the body if we don't have enough cholesterol first we cannot make those vitamins um and also we that's why you have to kind of have those vitamins in some kind of fat form when you if you ever supplement them Mm -hmm. so low levels of cholesterol will impact the amount of vitamin d we can produce Mm-hmm. Um, and so on and so forth. And then on the subject of vitamin D, if we don't have lots of vitamin D, then we don't we can't uptake calcium, and then we have weaker bones. Yeah. So, so what a- there are there's so many so many needs for fat in the body. Okay, so something we haven't covered, and maybe we won't go into too much detail on. It's just an aside because we have got loads of Q and A to do. What about? the people on plant-based diets who actually aren't getting that much. I can see your face. You're like, did you have to answer this <laughs> no, question? No, it's an important, it's an important question. I think, I think it is. I think it's it really is. important, especially as lot, like you were saying with childhood development, lots of kids these days are being brought up on much more plant-based diets. Mm-hmm. And if they're not getting animal fats, then... All of the things that you just listed, all of the functions of fat in the body, even just something like the uptake of fat-soluble vitamins, surely are compromised. Yeah. um, Well, yes. (laughs) Mm. And uh, it is a concern. Uh, And it's difficult. It's really difficult um, for, you know, people who are, you know, vegans for ethical or sustainability reasons or whatever. It's going to be really challenging um, to have enough fat and 
also we want to Enough say beneficial the right types yeah, yeah because you can have obviously there's lots of fats in nuts and seeds and stuff like that but then you start to get concerned with the amount of inflammation going on in the body even if you're not having the processed fats because um they are still really high in omega-6 and we don't necessarily mm. want so much omega-6 you know and we as you talk about in the cake meets the episode um the omega-6 omega-3 ratio is super important mm. um you know, coconut oil is high in saturated fat and coconut mm-hmm. is. So uh, if I was to kind of give any advice, I would say make sure you're getting plenty of coconut in your diet at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's going to be very challenging. Um, and actually, you know, there's some some researchers that if you think about sort of like childhood asthma as well, mm. Um so lung surfactant, which is necessary for, you know, respiratory health, is 100% made out of saturated fatty acids. Mm. And there's research to suggest that, you know, the, the rise in um, more plant-based diets and the kind of partially hydrogenated trans fats and all of that that's in people's diets, processed diets, may be um, playing a role in this kind of rise in asthma among children as well. So... Mm. It, there's um interesting yeah it, it, it it's I don't really have the answer and I think it's why I'm so passionate yeah. about making like I am quite passionate about having a eating real food and actually having a a diverse diet and you know an omnivorous diet so long as they're good quality sources and you're trying to kind of get them from re- regenerative farms and things like that mm. but um yeah, this is going to be a challenge for people who are on plant-based diets. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are. Just just that I think there's so much nuance to this conversation that doesn't get filtered down through mainstream governmental advice. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, what we hear from top tier is that we all need to be reducing our consumption of animal foods to reduce climate change and I think that that in itself is not untrue but that there's so much more to the equation and the question which I think what we've shown today and we've proven with this conversation about fat but that it's then really easy for people to take that statement in isolation and apply it to their life without the understanding of perhaps what's going on on a you know biochemical physical level Mm -hmm. so I agree with you it just it's um it's unfair for the general consumer. It's really fucking tough <laughs> these days. Um, and if we can give you any advice, any advice, it's just eat real food. Yeah, I think. It's- and don't be and just don't be afraid of fat. So there's one final question that I wanted to ask you, Jade, mm-hmm. and then we'll do some some of the questions that we got sent in via Instagram. And it's to do with what happens then when you have some routine blood tests at your local GP surgery and it comes back as your cholesterol's high um, and either, you know, you're young at this stage and they just give you some dietary advice, uh, like reduce saturated fat, or you're of an older generation and they say, maybe we should put you on a cholesterol-lowering medication like a statin. Um how do we then, how should someone then approach that? Like, do they need to be thinking about their diet? Or is that, you know, we touched on it earlier. It's again, very nuanced, but the interplay of sugar, um, 
consumed with a high fat diet is potentially more of a risk for something like heart disease than just the fat by itself. Yeah. Discuss. Discuss. Okay. So the cholesterol thing is, again, not clear cut. Um, And the main issue with cholesterol is that it's still really outdated the way that people's cholesterol is being tested because Mm. when we look at the markers for cholesterol in an NHS test you've literally got you've got your HDL cholesterol which which is categorized as your good in inverted commas cholesterol you've got your LDL cholesterol which is in you know your bad cholesterol Mm -hmm. and then you've got your total triglycerides and it's important to note that cholesterol is actually just so the hdl and the ldl these are lipoproteins the high density lipoproteins or the low density lipoproteins and they're essentially the boat that carries the cargo that is cholesterol so they're not cholesterol itself they're just the carrier molecules for the cholesterol Mm -hmm. the other thing is that there are 13 different subfractions of these lipoproteins there's not just two there's not just one good and one bad and actually of the LDL, which is sort of demonized, there is some beneficial, um, you know, LDL or, you know, LDL cholesterol that it shouldn't be a concern for anyone. And then more research has shown that maybe there's one or two, a few of those subfractions that may be slightly more concerning and maybe they would be biomarkers for atherosclerosis. So the SDLDL, which is the kind of small, dense, low density lipoprotein is is kind of your main issue but the problem is is that is not routinely tested you can there is tests to do it but you wouldn't get that through your nhs and so automatically they're going okay you've got ldl cholesterol that means you're at risk of heart disease not necessarily the case potentially but not necessarily the case so that's important to note and then the other thing to note is like you say the sugar consumption because um there is a definite kind of scientifically proven connection between uh, insulin resistance and higher levels of cholesterol and Mm -hmm. so you need to be thinking about that. And if you put somebody, and and also you need to be thinking about your total triglycerides. If you put somebody on, this might sound stupid, but many studies have shown that if you put somebody on a low carbohydrate, high fat or medium fat, medium protein diet, you will have a drop in your cholesterol and your triglycerides mm-hmm. because you're reducing the carbohydrate intake. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're reducing the risk of that kind of burden um, on the pancreas and the insulin resistance and the inflammation that's going on in, inflama- in insulin resistance. So mm-hmm. I, the, the most important thing is to kind of look at what you're eating already. If you are eating a kind of, if you're eating loads of um, processed foods, firstly, that might have some trans fats in them as well, which, as we know, are mm-hmm. a big no-no. Firstly, mm-hmm. that's the first thing to go. I would say if people are having, like, pastries and biscuits and all of that kind of stuff, that is the thing that I would say, you know, cut cut down on that. Don't start mm-hmm. cutting down on your butter um, yeah. and your good quality sausages or whatever mm-hmm. if 
if you've got that junk in your diet, get rid, yeah. get rid of that junk and then see what happens. And then the other thing is, there's a massive connection with, with movement. You know, we're, we're, we're increasingly becoming much more and more sedentary. People need to be moving and exercising more if they want to kind of lower cholesterol levels. But I wouldn't, you wouldn't want to jump onto something like a statin because as you know, as we've talked about all of the needs for cholesterol and fat in the body, that mm-hmm. is going to lead to a whole host of other issues. And actually, if you think about the fact that fat induces satiety mm-hmm. and, you know, we need fat in the body from a leptin perspective, putting somebody on statins has been kind of connected with an increase in insulin resistance as well. Mm. And what about if you're already on statins because there's a familial history of very high cholesterol? Should you, and it's totally fine if you're like, I'm not sure because a lot of this is, you know, we do a lot of research for these episodes. Should you, if you're that person, you're taking statins, your family's got a history of high cholesterol, should um, should you still eat butter? Should you still eat coconut oil? Should you still you know, go for the saturated fats oh, I mean, if you're on the statins. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would still eat a normal diet. I mean, I would I would consider if you're on the statins, um, looking into doing a bit more testing on cholesterol levels and trying to kind mm. of actually bury down deeper than just the HDL and the LDL. Yeah. And understand yeah. whether you actually have a real risk of heart disease. And and remember that cholesterol is just one contributing factor. It's just one mm. contributing factor to cardiovascular disease. It is not the be all and end all. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you've got any other symptoms that might be suggestive of low cholesterol and the damage of that in the body, such as hormonal imbalances or low vitamin D levels and things like that, then that's also a cause for kind of questioning your medication. And obviously, it's absolutely not within our remit as nutritional therapists to ever kind of take somebody off off drugs. No, But it is important that we have informed consent when we take medication and that means that we know we actually know the risks of the medication and we know kind of what it might lead to Mm -hmm. in the body and if people aren't informed correctly then I think it's absolutely it's absolutely valid to say go and do more research yeah gosh we could really spiral on the topic of informed consent (laughs) couldn't we Jade given Let's not spiral. Let's go. Given the, the current uh, pandemic. Okay, so I'm going to breeze through some of these that I can just give a yes, no answer to that I think will be really obvious from having listened to the episode. So people asking things like, can I keep putting butter on everything I eat? Yes. Yes. Yeah, um, but, how but I, much... would, I would also make sure that it is good quality butter. Quality yes, okay. is key. Let's, yeah, yeah. let's not get quality lost here. And, um, and on that, just quickly, um, the fat is where you find the fat-soluble vitamins, but mm-hmm. it's also where the body stores toxins. So mm-hmm. if you are consuming butter from a hormone-fed, very unhappy cow that has been pumped full of steroids and medications and stressed, then 
the fattier the product you're having, so the cream and the butter, the more likely likely you are to also be taking on that toxic burden. So actually fats need to be good, clean, healthy fats. And can we talk about whole fats as well quickly? Because um, please cut the skimmed milk, cut the semi-skimmed milk. If you're good. Oh, but this whole thing is ridiculous anyway, because we're to- we're marketed blue top milk as full fat milk it's bloody four percent and it's pasteurized that is, as well that is not a high fat food four percent fat it's not high fat food but because we call it full fat it's like it gets in people's heads it's it's nonsense yeah and and also i mean like the pasteurization process seems to also have you know a number of other kind of harmful elements to it that we don't have time to go into now but just for people who don't know, just for people who are having skimmed milk and think that that's because it's good for them. A lot of skimmed milk, I know, I'm not sure about, you know, around the world and stuff, but a lot of it is bulked up. It's given body by adding in powdered milk. Mm -hmm. Now, so it's not just skimmed, it's like, basically reduced to water and then powdered milk is added to it so that it looks like there's some milk in there and it's got some cloudiness. But powdered milk naturally tends to be oxidised. So that tends mm-hmm. to basically can, can um, contain oxidised cholesterol. Um, and that's in the process of creating a powder out of liquid. Um, it gets mm-hmm. oxidised. So actually... You are doing yourself way more harm. And people say, oh, well, it's only in tiny amounts. But if somebody is drinking a lot of milk every single day, I would not, you know, I would just not recommend it. What you really want to be doing if you want to drink milk is to have raw, whole milk, if you can, Mm -hmm. from good quality sources. And you you can get this stuff online now if you're not near like a local dairy or or somewhere like that. Um, that's the best quality milk. But I know that the question was about butter, but I think it's important that we cover that too quickly. Yes, definitely. Um, Avocados are seen as a health food these days, but my mum says they're super fattening from her 80s diets. Well, there you go. The history lesson covered that. Yeah. Um, Thoughts on vegan high carb, low fat covered. I think we've covered that. Refer to episode. Um, (laughs) Fat in coffee in relation to fasting, yay or nay? I'm going to say let's park the bulletproof coffee and we can go into that another time. Yeah. Ultimately, my opinion is there's way nicer ways to get your fat, like <laughs> butter on toast rather than like putting it in your coffee. I think also we're not, we're not, it's important to note that we're not sort of saying, oh, everyone should be on a keto diet. That's not what this episode is. Oh yeah, is. no. <laughs> Just no. in case anyone thinks that that's what we're saying. Um, um, I'd also much rather put butter in my coffee than only barista. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Um good fats to eat daily so it's not you know we've we've talked through the kind of saturated fats but also don't forget about your avocados your olive oils Mm -hmm. your nuts and seeds your oily fish like it's all good and it all needs to be included um it's not like we're saying one form of fat is better than another form of fat um okay despite so much debunking of saturated fat and CBD, why are we still being told to limit it so much? This is a great question because the research is out there now. It's out there. Um, 
But <sighs> these corporations, these government bodies, etc. Go on, Jade, take them down. So my theory is, is that after decades and decades of being adamant about the way that people should be eating, it's just too humiliating mm. to go and put out a big press release to say, we got it all wrong. And not only did we get it wrong, but actually the replacements that we recommended have caused way more harm for your health than, you know, yeah. the thousands of years that we were eating real foods. And now we've kind of thrown all this other stuff into the mix and given you these fake guidelines. And now everyone is fat, sick, tired and depressed. And mm -hmm. I think there's a big thing there. And the other thing is that a lot of them are fueled by the food companies and the big pharma and the vegan industry and the fake meat industries. And all of these industries want us want us to keep believing that saturated fat is bad and this to remain the status quo because it benefits them. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the food companies can make a load of money from all these low-fat products and Big Pharma can keep mm -hmm. pumping these lipid-lowering drugs into people. And from a vegan perspective, like, if, if it was news that actually people need to be having, like, lots of good quality saturated fat in their diet... Mm -hmm then that would essentially say more people need to be eating meat or, or animal products. And yeah. so that would be a problem as well. So I think that, unfortunately, it's this, this dogma has infiltrated every aspect of society. Mm. And um, it's, it's really difficult to reverse that. And I think that actually the, Mer the American Heart Association or the American guidelines now don't necessarily still promote, like strongly promote low fat, um, but no one ever did an announcement about it. Yeah. You know, they know that the, in that, that the research is there. But I must say, even researching for this podcast, Grace, mm. the majority of the information on the internet is still of this ilk. Yeah, totally. And... Even like educational information, you know, poor quality educational information that may be going out to people in schools or whatever mm. is still mm. telling this same story. So it's the grassroots movement and the certain kind of pioneers of this, um, this line of inquiry that, that are doing all of the work to make people realise that we just need to be eating real food. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna do two more because just, just I need to go and I need to go and rescue my Roger. puppy from his <laughs> utility room cage. Um, uh, one question that I love, I definitely wanted to talk about: How many eggs should I eat per week? Well, I eat two eggs every day. So. Well, some days I eat three eggs. So some days, if I eat four, because if I've had my <laughs> eggs for breakfast and then I haven't got another good quality protein source in the house, God forbid, I'll have more. Look, the the as we said, the cholesterol piece has been debunked. So in terms of eggs and cholesterol, you don't need to worry. They're a really healthy food. Um, what about? Okay, let's make this the last one. If you've had your gallbladder removed, do you need to be careful about your fat intake? Okay, so that's a good question. And um, obviously, the gallbladder is necessary for 
the amount of bile that we have in our digestive system and we need bile to emulsify fat so that we can break them down and utilize them effectively. So if you have your gallbladder removed, it puts a huge amount of pressure on your liver because your liver is what makes the the bile, but your gallbladder Mm -hmm. kind of stores it and secretes it. Um, So there's a huge amount of pressure from your on your liver and also the the bile just kind of sort of leaks into your digestive system without any sort of control because the gallbladder sort of squirts it in where it's needed exactly 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 like that squirt (laughs) yeah well people can't see what i'm doing i I did a Um, so yes. Do you know we've been recording for 59 minutes? I know, I know, I know. I'm about to get, we're we're about to stop. But yes, uh, what I would say is, yes, obviously you do need to be more careful. Um, you can supplement with ox bile and things like that. And there's a lot of kind of nutraceuticals and supplements that can support you Mm -hmm. if you've had your gallbladder removed. But, um, in terms of sort of quantities of fat, I would probably need to go away and, and, and look at that in detail and that individual case to yeah, give um, specific totally. recommendations. Because all of this, it, it's also personal, it's also individual at the end of the day. So although we can kind of joke about answering your questions, if it is something that's like a really serious and really burning question, then reach out to one of us to engage our services in a more formal environment rather than um on my podcast which we have now reached an hour of recording yes and i am going i to... think that's a record i think that's probably the the longest in this series oh it will be um and i'm going to stop things there congratulations listener if you've made it to the end of this episode um my hugest thanks to my absolute best friend and legend, Jade Layton, a.k.a. The Holistic Health Method. Thanks, darling. That was fun. I'm going to go on holiday now. <laughs> I need it after that. You enjoy your holiday. I hope this episode's been really useful for you all. If you've loved it, share it, because this is information, as we've realised, that really, really needs to get out there. Grassroots, so- grassroots. Exactly. Thank you, Jade. And goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'm sure we all learned a lot. Thank you to Jade for being an amazing guest and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Bye bye.